0: welcome back to start Kyle Lorton the holiday break is over we're back all all types of stuff has happened with the bears we have so much to talk about today Kyle i know you have a ton to talk about because my phone has so many words from you in it so many goddamn yeah, words so
1: Kyle. we should have we probably were way too optimistic about the likelihood that we would get together and record during the holiday season so that's Definitely. on us um, but yeah where we left off was entering that game in Cleveland, and the Bears had a chance to keep their playoff hopes alive. Right. Uh, and they immediately pooped all over that. Yep. Now, to both of us, logically, that moment in time meant two things. It meant Matt Eberflus should be gone, and it meant Justin Fields should be gone. The answer seemed clear as day that day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then two more games have happened, two more games against what we would both consider to be pretty bad teams, bad defenses, that's for sure. Uh, And it has, as usual in Bears history, um, meaningless December wins have clouded the picture like they always love to do. And now, I mean, the omens are what they are. Currently, I get the feeling, and I don't know what your feeling is, but what what I am tasting in the wind... Smelling in the wind. Farting in the wind. What's in the wind for me, the vibe, is that Matt Eberflus has probably saved his job. Yeah. And we'll get into a little bit into why I think Matt Eberflus has saved his job. And it's the worst possible reason that I think he could have saved his job. But I still think that barring... The best game of his life and a win on Sunday in Lambeau Field. I don't think Justin Fields has saved his. Is that what you're feeling? Is that the vibe you're feeling?
0: The yeah, you uh, you sent me uh, as part of your screed this week. You were like, you know, we kind of seem to be in sync with Ryan Poles. If they like, if there's one Bears GM where both of us have sort of mind melded with him, it seems to be this guy. And the feeling that both of us are getting is that. Justin is toast. He's drafting somebody. It, it really, to me, it doesn't matter what he does against Green Bay. I think Poles is like, yeah, this isn't the guy. We're going to use that pick on a quarterback. I get that honest feeling. Um, Eberflus, you know, he's done enough to where I'm not going to lose my mind if we retain him. Well, but I also get the feeling that, that yeah, because... Because his side of the ball has absolutely taken care of business. Because you could blame Poles for not giving him a pass rush earlier in the year. And because we are, you know, owned by the McCaskies and they're going to have to pay him if they get rid of him now. I think all that comes together. It suggests to me that Fluss is going to stay. I'm I'm not as upset as I would have been six weeks ago. I'll tell you that because his defense has stepped up. They have stopped. They shut Kyler Murray down. That is a good quarterback. They shut but they down the Lions They offense. couldn't shut
1: down Joe Flacco, not for four quarters.
0: Flacco's been running he's over everybody. It. What the it, hell is going on with he, Joe Flacco? He's flacking
1: off right in your face. You can't. I mean, he is just, I mean, it's been fun to watch, honestly. I mean, it wasn't oh, yeah. fun that Sunday, obviously. It's been fun to watch. Just because this is, he's clearly just having fun with it. He came in here with no expectations. The Browns just needed him. He's thirty nine years old, and one thing Joe Flacco has always had, still has, is just a fucking rocket launcher on his right shoulder. He he can o- he's always been perhaps too willing to try every throw. Um, but yeah, he's been fun to watch just because he's playing like a man possessed with nothing to lose. Um, so that part's been fun. But yeah, no, he, we haven't we have seen. The big asterisk on that Eberflus's defense so far is still, can they do it against a good passing offense? They got 50-50 results against Jared Goff, however you feel about him. They did play pretty well against Kyler Murray, but there is nothing currently around Kyler. Uh, I think in a couple months, he will get to enjoy Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, But right now, Kyler has not got a lot of help. Um, And then there's also... I mean, but then the list of quarterbacks that he's beaten is still, there's a lot, there's Brian Hoyers in there. There's Bryce Youngs in there. Yep. It's, that's still the question mark. One thing that's been consistent really all year is this run defense is historically good. It is. And you should expect that to continue going forward because Andrew Billings is a beast at the nose. Um And because Montez Sweat, when we talked about the Montez Sweat trade, and you were a little lower on him than I was. I I always liked Montez Sweat, the player, a lot. My concern was that if they didn't sign that extension, then that trade looks very, very, very stupid. But they did sign the extension. And I said Montez Sweat is a good pass rusher. He is an elite run stopper, which adds up, in my opinion, to a top 10, top 15 edge. It's just most people would prefer the elite pass rusher, solid run stuffer. He's he's more one than the other. Um, but he that run defense is going to stay good. I, I believe that. Um, and that makes them perfect for killing bad quarterbacks because bad quarterbacks are always reliant on the run game as a crutch. They're always reliant on play action off of the run game. Um, and they don't really like to read things out when it comes to zone and knowing where they like to read man coverage and just kind of go based on matchups. Um, and so Matt Eberflus he takes away the run and then he drops you drops back in various zones. He really makes you read things out um, and it, they're murdering bad quarterbacks. We did see there was Justin with a quarterback of Justin Herbert's caliber. Now that was pre sweat trade. That we saw a quarterback of Justin Herbert's caliber be like, fuck, okay, fine. I know where the hole in your zone is. That's fine. I'll take my seven-yard gain. I'll take my eight-yard gain. So I do think this Sunday will be an interesting test because Jordan Love has come along pretty strong since we last saw him. No doubt about that. Um, I know a lot of Bears fans are despairing about that. I get it. It would have been a lot more fun in some ways if he was just pure ass for the rest of the year. Um, Uh, I think it's perfect. You and I I –
0: well, no, I mean, again, this is perfect. They're still, gonna stick with this guy. He's for years. he's out of
1: I, I think, yeah. I think the more likely scenario, just because the accuracy is still spotty at times. He's still even if you and you're watching his good games lately, he still misses some just wide ass open layups. I really do think Jordan Love's success lately has really been more Matt LaFleur's success, has really been more Jaden Reed's success, Tucker Kraft's success. Um the Packers as as a unit are not going away. You're gonna However, whoever the Bears get at quarterback, whatever they decide to do, the road to success is always going to require being better than a good organization in Green Bay. I think we all wanted them to just fall into the mire and suck ass without Aaron Rodgers and and, and not have to worry about them. And I, it, I don't think I think that that coach is too good. That offensive line factory that they have is too good. If you've got a head coach and you've got an offensive line that can that can run that can let you run the ball no matter who you have and that can protect your quarterback no matter who he is, you're gonna get away with a lot of other shit. Mm. Um but yeah, so it'll be a good test against Jordan Love because he is still and the reason I don't think he's transforming into an elite passer in our between our eyes, he's still two very different guys when he's kept clean versus when he's pressured. When he's pressured, you still see the panic coming. So I think as far as the win loss for the bears, that's very much going to come down to whether they can get pressure on Jordan love in the first game of the season. They did not. And we remember how that went. If they can get pressure on him, I I think you can trick him into, you can make, make him make some bad decisions.
0: Yeah. Jordan love is uh, a lot like our own quarterback right now. Quite frankly, he is a guy who has a lot of ups and has a lot of downs, and it's going to even out to being a very middle-of-the-pack quarterback. Um, and to me, that's something that I want the Packers to be stuck with and something I don't want well, the Packers most, to be stuck with.
1: The most important thing about Jordan Love is that, like, if Jordan Love was doing this as a rookie or even a year-two quarterback, I, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be really concerned because I'd be like, you know what? That is a guy who I think is a looking like a what you would call that golf-tier quarterback, that, like, right. 12th, 13th, 14th best starter in the NFL. The guy you absolutely win with, but rarely win because of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that guy, when he's a rookie, when he's a second-year quarterback, is freaking lethal because that ro- you can build that roster around him. That guy as a fourth-year quarterback, as a fifth-year quarterback, presents kind of a dilemma. So it'll be interesting to see how Green Bay, what, how his contract negotiations go, how Green Bay handles building around him. All of that, especially because they they do need to retool a lot of things on defense. Um,
0: yeah, I, you so look be, at what uh, you look at what Daniel Jones got. I feel like the Packers are going to have to pay the man. Um, I don't know that Daniel Jones. This, this I mean, if I'm Jordan run, Love, I'm arguing
1: gone. that I'm far better than Daniel Jones was last year. Anyways, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I assume when you say what we're going to talk about, I assume you're talking about the Fields decision.
0: I, this is very um, similar do, to the decision we have, right?
1: Do we want to get into that today, or do we want to?
0: It is the story of the week, right? It, it like this has almost been the story of the NFL. I,
1: but I almost, I almost feel like, I almost feel like there's one, there's one last variable to enter into the equation, which is Sunday. Yeah. Um, and I do think the narrative could possibly change based on what happens Sunday. Now, to be clear, I don't. I think.
0: think well, I don't us. think not, not, for mean, us, right? not for us. Not for us. And I
1: don't think for Ryan Poles, I think Ryan Poles has shown over and over and over that he takes the long view of this roster. He takes the long view of team building. He takes the long view of spending in the NFL. This is a man who has managed his resources incredibly frugally, very prudently. Um, and so I think Ryan Poles knows one game doesn't change, uh, who Justin Fields is at this right. point or and how likely he is to get better next year. Um and and I, I do think we will I mean this discussion's huge. I think we will devote a whole lot of time to it.
0: It's gonna take I think a I'm gonna period. have to
1: patiently lay out my case for why we should move on from Justin Fields because it's ironically our very first episode last year was me very patiently laying out the case for why they should keep him and trade the number one overall pick. Yeah. And so I've had a lot of people come at me and they say, like, what happened to you that you went from one side to the other? And I'm kind of like, what, what happened? A whole other season of NFL football.
0: Well, if happened. you listen to that episode, too, one of the most important things that, that we lay out there was because that first round pick is not this first round pick. The, one of the benefits of keeping Justin last year was this draft has a better quarterback, and it has I think we I think we literally said in that episode, I think I, did, I may have literally said in said that episode, Drake may, if Drake may
1: careless, right there. if they were, well, I think I said if they were in this draft, I would give a little bit more credence to yep. trading Justin. But I said, and I said, Justin was, he was entering year three. And what we know about quarterback development in the NFL, we don't make, because I get a lot of people also asking, like, well, how do you know Justin's not going to get better? But I don't know that Justin's not going to get better. I, I think he
0: actually... You can stand on that, man. You know everything about the year three thing. Well,
1: here we go. I I actually do think Justin Fields can get a little better. I do think he has cleaned up a few things. The way I put it is this. um, I think when you look at this roster, when you look at this year, they have removed the terrible supporting cast excuse. And I'm not saying it was an excuse in 2022. It was an explanation. That supporting cast was awful. I still don't believe any quarterback would have thrived in that situation. I think Justin Fields did as well as just about anybody could have. I really do. Um, But this year's supporting guys, and I'm not saying it's the 49ers. It's not. But you guys need to be realistic to yourself. Do you think that Trevor Lawrence right now in Jacksonville with that awful offensive line, with with Calvin Ridley showing the effects of a couple years layoff – Where, you know, Evan Ingram has kind of turned back into a pumpkin. Uh, Do you think Trevor Lawrence is really dealing with a lot more than Justin Fields has? I think he's dealing with a little bit less, but he's overcoming it more than Justin has. I think there are a lot of third year quarterbacks. I mean, I would, this supporting, this Bears offensive line right now, this Bears DJ Moore, Cole Komet, this group of skilled players right now. Arguably better than what Mitch had in year three in 2019. I yeah.
0: mean, I would it, say inarguably. I like I, I at this point, like it, this second part of the season yeah, after Justin came back, without a doubt, this there, Bears offense around anyways it is, is very good.
1: But yeah, there is enough there that you can say if he was truly an elite quarterback already, he would be putting up more than below average results with an ad. Like let's say the supporting cast is average and the metrics bear that out whether you want to talk about pass blocking metrics, receiving metrics. They are basically average or better in almost every category. Justin himself is still below average in almost every passing category. And I think that's hard for people to believe. I don't think they'll take a look at the numbers. They just, they zoom in so much on their own team and, and they just compare Justin to other Bears quarterbacks right? or compare Justin to earlier versions of himself. And they say, well, he looks better now. So he's got to be like league average, right? He's not right now. He's, I believe, 21st in EPA CPOE composite. And before people start talking about his rushing stats, that's what EPA, that's all in there. Yep. Adjusted net yards per attempt doesn't include the rushing, but it includes the touchdowns, the interceptions, the sack yardage, He's still below average in that. He is still below average in success rate, which is another thing that measures the rushing and the value of all that too. It's how often a guy has a play where he adds positive expected points value to his offense. Justin's still below average at that. Now, I do think he's found some things. I do think he's leveled. I think he's raised his floor a little bit with this supporting cast. You don't really see the seven for 17 for 78 yards like he had, what was it, last year, week 17 against Detroit. You don't see those games anymore. Right. He's really – he, but he hasn't raised his ceiling accordingly. And so when I say we, we know how quarterback development in the NFL goes, we don't know for sure, but we can say if you look at hundreds of quarterbacks throughout – hundreds of passing seasons throughout the last 25, 30 years of NFL history, and I have, God have I, it tells you a couple things. Rookie years, for the most part, largely are noise. There have been some really bad rookies who have gone on to become really good quarterbacks. There have been some good rookies who have fallen off to earth. I mean, if you look to, we mentioned Joe Flacco earlier. If you went to Joe Flacco's rookie year, you might have thought, based on how he performed, that that guy was destined for superstardom because it was a way better than average rookie season. But it turns out he was really just in a way better than average rookie situation, and he very much for the rest of his career he pretty much was the same guy that he was as a rookie. He didn't have a development curve; he had a development line. He just came, he emerged from the womb fully formed as Joseph Flacco, and he never he never changed. Um, Meanwhile, you have other guys who had fairly bad rookie years. You know, Jared Goff is another bad rookie, awful rookie year, rebounded by year two. So what, what we what we can usually say is, without, with a few exceptions, and there are, even as rookies, there are certain stats and there are certain things that a guy can be bad at that are way less promising than others. Like, it actually doesn't matter how many interceptions a guy throws his rookie year. It really doesn't. It almost never does. It almost never means anything. Peyton Manning famously threw 28, 26 interceptions. It really doesn't matter. Um, but if a guy doesn't... Make any big plays as a rookie, that's kind of concerning. If his yards per completion is really low, that's kind of concerning. Like Kenny Pickett is a famous punching bag of mine, and he's now been benched for Mason Rudolph. Um, my concern with Kenny Pickett all uh, last year, people kept focusing on his completion percentage and his win loss record, and, you know, oh, he's not throwing a lot of interceptions. And I kept saying it's because he's not throwing the ball. He's not better seconds because he's taking no risks. He's getting no successes downfield. He's not flashing any upside whatsoever. Sure enough, Kenny Pickett has been the same guy in year two that he was in year one. Anyway, so going back to rewinding screed. Year one largely doesn't matter. It's also noise. You really don't know anything for the most part about most guys after just one year. You really don't. Year two, almost always you will see the guys that are true Busts Like Zach Wilson, you will see them fizzle out in year two and make it clear in year two they are not the guy right away because they don't look any better than they did in year one. But then there's a, there's a lot of guys who make noticeable improvements from year one to year two, but might still be less than average, might still be kind of bad. Um, but it, if a guy shows clear, obvious improvement from year one to year two, then you stick with them until year three. And what we usually, because usually what we see in year two when we have a guy, I mean, Mitch Trubisky is a perfect example of this. Mitch Trubisky was in a bad situation as a rookie with a bad coaching staff uh, and and a bad supporting cast, so you couldn't really tell his struggles were they him were they the guys around him. Year two they brought in Matt Nagy, they brought in a lot of help on at wide receiver, they brought in Trey Burton at tight end, they they brought in all this stuff, and Nagy very much schemed around Mitch's weaknesses all year and he looked pretty good but then that year two tape is is out there and in year three you see defenses try to take away the shortcuts and try to take away you know they saw okay well his head coach isn't letting him do these things so those must be his weak points so what we need to do is make him do those things and if he can't then that's, your, that's the difference between a mid-tier starter or a, or a bottom-tier starter and a guy who can eventually go on to greatness. And so we've seen Justin Fields, um, a lot of people hammer Luke Getzey, and I think Luke Getzey sucks, I'm not going to debate that. But
0: they hammer Luke Getzey
1: for not doing all of the exact same things that he did when Justin played pretty well last year down the stretch. But the thing is, defenses know those are the things that Luke Getzey had to scheme up for Justin Fields to make him look good. They know those are the things that Justin Fields wants to do, needs to kind of rely on to be successful. And so they, they scheme to take that stuff away. And defenses at this point have figured out about Justin Fields is that he does not like to throw with anticipation. So you don't want to let him, you know, you don't want guys coming open early. So you're going to play a lot of zone. You're going to make him think about it. They know he doesn't like, to throw over the middle of the field. He st- year three, he still will not consistently throw the middle of the field. So what they do is they're going to double his guys down the sideline. They're going to try to take those. I was surprised by the Atlanta Falcons' defensive game plan on Sunday because they played a lot of man coverage, and they left a lot of guys in single cover, DJ Moore, on the outside. I'm not going to say that those those deep passes from Justin to DJ weren't gorgeous. They were. And Justin's always been good at throwing that particular route. But most defenses, good defenses, Cleveland, Cleveland's not going to give DJ Moore that kind of coverage. They didn't. Yeah. Cleveland's going to try to concede the middle of the field and 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 ask Justin to beat them there and get the ball out quickly. And he's still struggling to do that. So to me at this point, the good Justin Field game's Versus the bad games, don't. He, that's not even really what I'm looking at. It's the process that he's using as a passer. I'm trying to figure out, am I seeing him start to throw with a little more anticipation? Am I seeing him start to target the middle of the field more? Because I know the things he's good at. I do. He throws an elite sideline deep thrower. The guy throws some of the best nine balls you'll ever see in your life. We all know it at this point. It's been a thing of beauty with him and DJ all year long. We know he can scramble. We know he can do all of these things, but for him to take that next step, for him to become a top ten passer, which is what he needs to be, because you have to pay him soon. And we know that once a guy gets paid, if he's not top ten, he's a hindrance to your roster. A guy has to out the value of his con- outperform the value of his contract. So in order for him to take that elite leap, I need to see him start to do the things that I have yet to see him do, and I haven't seen him do them often enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, so I saw something on The Athletic this week that kind of was just the final nail in the coffin for Justin to me. They basically took everything Justin's done since he came back. You would say the best games Justin has had. He's looked the best as he has in his career these last few weeks, um, even going up against the Browns, the best defense in the NFL uh, by a lot. Very strong defense. He struggled a bit. That's acceptable. You throw all that together, his EPA per play is still 001 He is exactly in the middle of the pack for NFL quarterbacks. Peak Justin Fields is good. And that's it. This is exactly where he is. If you are honestly expecting him to improve beyond this, beyond just this sample of games, which we're cherry picking, you know, literally the best that he has looked. We're going to ignore everything else like it doesn't count, right? He's still okay. And it's something we've talked about. Some we're going to talk about. Uh, past this season for sure. And like you said, we're going to have a lot of time to debate Justin Fields, man. Um, But he's he's Jay. He's Jay Cutler, man. He is a good quarterback who is going to give you enough glimpses of greatness that you're going to be tricked into believing that he's something more. But he's not. He's good. And that's it. And we have, we now have locked in a chance to well, take greatness. Yeah, you and I... Pick. You and I talked about
1: this, but literally, like, literally, it's like if after that 2011 season, when the Bears went 8-8 because Jay got hurt again, um, and Jay was coming off his third season in Chicago, not his third season in the NFL, but third season in Chicago, just like Justin, where he was mostly average to below average, but tantalizing, what if the Bears after that 2011 season, had somehow ended up with the Andrew Luck pick. Mm. And so the question is, if you're sitting there looking at Jake, Cutler, a guy who, I mean, he is even, even more accomplished to that point in his career than Justin Fields was. Yeah, he was. Went, went to a Pro Bowl in Denver, had a 4,000-yard passing season, had several 3,000-yard passing seasons, obviously wasn't the runner that Justin is. And we take that into account. I, you know, with Justin Fields, I do believe you look at total yards, total production. That's why I tend to look at things like EPA. That's and, why we
0: look at EPA. For play, and QB. Right? We're trying and, to factor in the rush. We do. Game. We do. Yeah. We don't ignore it.
1: We really don't. Um, we've, uh, but yeah, we do look at, but they're very similar tiers of players and you have this opportunity <clears throat> to possibly take a, a prospect of the caliber. I mean, nobody's quite Andrew Luck caliber because i honestly think luck was probably consensus wise the most highly rated prospect since john elway um but whatever the the tier right below andrew luck is as far as prospects how a prospect is viewed around the league and how his analytics check out and everything there's not one but there are two guys in this draft and i will go into this later but the guy that you and i both like a, a little bit more is the guy that currently isn't the favorite to go number one. but And we'll yeah. get into that later. Uh, we will go into that in depth.
0: We're going to spend so much time this offseason debating that. There will be, I mean, last
1: year we did a quarterbacks episode. This year there will probably be like an episode for each quarterback. Yeah. I'm going deep in depth on every guy to a level that I haven't even before because this is the first time I think the Bears really are going to have a choice between all of them and, and are probably going to make that choice. Um, but there will probably be a Caleb Williams episode. There will probably be a Drake May episode. There might be a J.J. McCarthy episode. Uh, it'll be short. It'll just be us going, no, don't. Please, God,
0: don't. Don't do that. Um, Jaden Daniels we're talking about, though. Definitely. Is he? Just is he? a guy, a guy is he? to talk about. Michael, one? Pennix, I mean, talk was, about Michael Pennix? Talk Michael Oh, I mean, I can talk about all of
1: these guys. I can't. Oh, I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to go on. Maybe not for
0: the Bears. The Bears should take just one in of the top two guys yeah. and not think about
1: it. Yeah, there will be... Uh, There'll be an essay on each guy, and I think there's a lot. This is a fascinating class. It's fascinating. I'm so excited to
0: talk about this draft. I thought last
1: year's group was a fascinating class and that there wasn't a clear-cut number one, although for me, C.J. Stroud was always the clear-cut number one. For other
0: people, people, it was
1: maybe Anthony Richardson. Um, (laughs) And for other people that weren't recording this podcast, it was maybe Bryce Young. We told we told you that wasn't a good idea. Um but uh there'll be a lot to say we about that. But
0: it, we don't gotta talk but, about the draft. But We're anyways, trying, I'm trying to that, just focus on Justin. But Jack to
1: Justin Fields, I do think the only thing that could possibly change the narrative at this point for him is if he goes out and like I said, he has the game of his life against the Packers and he wins that game. And neither of us thinks that will change the the opinion of Brian Poles, but There are people above Ryan Poles in this organization, people who really get bent out of shape about Packers games and let it distort how they do things. People with 110 year old mothers clinging to life who really want to see a playoff team for Ma before she goes. Mm -hmm. Um, who have been known to make stupid decisions and to interfere and make stupid decisions who might be influenced by Justin Fields, having the game of his life in Lambeau against the Packers. Yeah. The other side of that coin is I think Justin Fields could play pretty well in a loss and the loss alone seals him forever because yeah. <clears throat> I think all half the fan base is going to need to see. I think all that George McCaskey is going to need to see is that this guy is now Owen six versus the green Bay Packers. And that he is now 0-2 against the Green Bay Packers when they're not even being quarterbacked by Aaron Rodgers. So it was a little bit more forgivable when the other guy was a Hall of Famer. Uh it's it's losing to Jordan Love twice is not forgivable if you're Justin Fields. You can't you just can't do it. I mean certainly it looks a little less embarrassing now than it did in week one, but it's still I mean this is I think Jordan Love is...
0: Does it? Their defense is, uh, I think, 28th in DVO. Yeah, that's true. But so, Jordan Love is, I think,
1: a top... Jordan Love, at this moment of time, is a top 15 quarterback. Yep. And that is the, what the people who are currently supporting Justin Fields insist he is as well, even though the numbers don't bear that out. I uh, Right. Um, and so if you're Justin Fields, if you're better than Jordan Love, or even if you're a similar tier, you have the better defense on your side too right now. So th- this is it. This is, this is your last chance. You're going to have to make a statement win here. I do think if he makes one, that could muddy the works a little bit. There could be – that could influence – Like I don't think it influences Ryan Poles' thinking. I think he thinks more long-term than that. But I don't think George McCaskey thinks long-term. Sometimes I don't think George McCaskey thinks. Um, and so I think that that's the one variable left and kind of why I'm not going deep into – the decision and who it should be just yet.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think the, the the problem with Justin Fields and the way he has segregated the fan base here is Justin, the things that he does well are apparent. They are visible. They're easy to see while you're watching a game right on the broadcast where you have that narrow frame of view. You're only watching Justin. Then you're watching the ball as it travels to a wide receiver or a running back. And that's it. And what that does not cover are the things that he does wrong, which is screwing up his progression. His feet are completely out of whack. And because of those two things, he often misses big, wide-open chunk plays. He misses guys who are wide open on the side of the field he's not looking at because he's not going through his progression correctly. He misses throws over the middle of the field to wide-open Cole Komet, wide-open D.J. Moore, wide-open Tyler Scott just in this last game had Scott open multiple times and just would not throw the ball. These are the things that you don't see on the stat sheet that you don't see on the broadcast. When you have that narrow frame of view, when you watch it later, you watch the all 22, you see what it is that he's doing. And you say, my God, this guy is missing massive plays. He's leaving 300 yard games on the table. And he doesn't even have, you know, like a legendary offensive coordinator. He doesn't have a guy who's calling great plays for him and gets for all of his faults, calls some good plays call some baffling plays. Yeah, I mean, time, Getzy- but but Justin is still leaving so much on the table and that's what we're seeing come out in the EPA per play. We're seeing it come out when guys go in and really review the tape is they're saying this guy is not he's not the dude. He's yeah. good. He can make accurate passes when he throws the ball, but he misses so much and it that's just not something <clears> you see a guy Recover from. And it's not something we need to deal with right now. Well, if you have a pick, we can take a guy who doesn't do that right right now.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, if we, and we've said so many times this year, if that Panthers pick was number three, right now you and I are photoshopping Marvin Harrison Jr. into a Bears uniform. And we're hoping Justin Fields can take another step in year four because I don't, spoiler alert, we'll go way into more into this class as we go along. I don't like any of the guys but those top two more than I like the chance of gambling on Justin Fields in year four. But I do like those top two more. I do. Um, and we'll go into that. We'll go into why that is as we go along. But, um, yeah, I, I it's just, I mean, Bears fans want to point to, like a lot of people say, well, since he's returned from injury. But if you go back to since he's returned from injury, his passer rating is like 80.2. His yeah. return from injury, his, his yards per attempt is like 6.3. Yeah, he, he's taking fewer sacks. is throwing fewer interceptions, but it's because they've—and this is disgusting for me to even say—they've kind of turned him into a game manager. And even talked about—he talked about—he—and he, God, this says a lot about Matt Matt Eberflus too. And it worries me about him being in charge of a rookie quarterback's development. Uh, but I don't think we have a choice on that one. But Fields says that you know Matt Eberflus has told him two hundred, which means two touchdowns, zero interceptions zero fumbles or whatever i think is what he said that's what he's asking from fields every every game now um and justin's kind of contributed that but yeah uh but yeah i mean it is it is what it is. we've said we said our piece about justin fields i think um i do think that this is going to dominate so much of the conversation in the in the episodes to come as we enter the off season uh but i i think there's other things to talk about on this bears team right yeah. now um, a lot of
0: lot of positives a lot of positives i mean pretty much everywhere I,
1: I, I think actually that's a good let's just make that point here i i sort of understand i think a lot of people think that if you so as the quarterback goes so goes the roster and so i think a lot of people think if you're one of the reasons they don't want to draft a rookie quarterback is because they feel like that's starting all the way over back again they have flashbacks to justin's right. rookie year and Mitch's rookie year. Um, But contention cycles are very different for this. The the reason that you and I both are pro-drafting a quarterback right now is precisely because this roster is young, and it is coming together faster than expected, and they are really poised. if they can plug a guy in who is promising, Uh, first of all, they'll give him one of the best landing situations that a number one overall pick has ever had, arguably the
0: best. I would say the best. You have to go back.
1: I, I looked, and I think you have to go at least back to the 1983 Broncos when Elway was traded to them by the Colts, and Elway made the playoffs his rookie year um, to find a better situation for like a more a more ready to compete roster for a number one overall pick to like
0: Roethlisberger, maybe Roethlisberger. Yeah, Roethlisberger. Oh yeah, no,
1: I'm not saying this is the best situation that a that a rookie quarterback will ever step into, but it's by far the best situation that a number one overall pick. Oh, we'll step into you in a long time. Because before, the number, I don't think people understand how rarely the number one overall pick actually gets traded. But for one, so most quarterbacks that go number one overall, and actually, you know, I said we weren't going to have this discussion, but this is a point that has been bothering the people have been making. I get a lot of people saying like, well, there's a 50% chance if you take a quarterback number one. Quarterbacks in the whiff all the time. It's like a 50% bust rate. That is actually not true for where the Bears would be taking the quarterback. If you talk about first round quarterbacks overall, yeah, that, that that's true. But that's because it's the NFL and you need a quarterback and teams reach later in the first out of desperation. You know, J.P. Lossman should arguably not have been a first round pick, but the Bills needed a quarterback. And so they took the fourth one off the board that they had okay grades on. Christian Ponder should not have been a first-round quarterback.
0: Vikings panicked, you know. They took Christian Ponder way earlier than he should have been.
1: Johnny Manziel should not have been a first-round quarterback. There's so many of these guys, But you're talking about guys taking number one overall? Look at what Joe Burrow has done for the Bengals. Look at what the only – I, I way back to this, and I went back all the way to Matt Stafford. I think there have been 12 quarterbacks taken number one overall since Matt Stafford in 2009. And if you just go by adjusted net yards per attempt, um, which is, again, that's that's passing yardage, but you subtract yards lost on sacks. You add a bonus for touchdown passes thrown. You subtract points for interceptions, etc. cetera. Out of the 12 quarterbacks taken since 2009 first overall, 11 of the 12 right now, or 11 of the 12 have a higher career-adjusted net yards per attempt than what Justin Fields has done so far in his career. The only one who doesn't right now is Bryce Young. Um, And and that's early. Bryce could turn it around. But also, you know, Bryce was an outlier, and we said that. He was not a normal number one overall QB. We said what the risks were. The story looks very different if the Panthers do the thing that we thought they were going to do and that it sounds like Frank Reich wanted to do before he was overruled by his owner and taken C.J. Stroud. The story looks very different. If it, then, it's, then it's 12 of 12. So you're probably looking at a 90 to 100% chance that the guy you take at number one is going to outperform what Justin Fields has done through the first three years of his career at least. There's like a 60% chance you're getting a guy who's going to be a pro bowler. There's maybe a 30 to 50% chance you're getting a guy who's going to be like a legit all pro Multiple tier quarterback, and that's you also get a lot of people who say things like, "Well, how often does a quarterback who was picked number one overall win the Super Bowl?" And I looked yesterday, and I think it's like eighteen combined Super Bowls won by quarterbacks who have been taken number one overall. Maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, considering a quarterback's taken number one overall a lot, but when you compare it to a quarterbacks quarterbacks taken at two or three or four or five or six, like by that same logic you should give up on Justin Field because only one quarterback, Roethlisberger, taken at 11, has ever won a Super Bowl. That's not how these things work. The, the, the people saying, well, picking number one overall, a quarterback number one overall doesn't always result in a Super Bowl win. Nothing always results in a Super Bowl win. If there was one weird trick to winning a Super Bowl, everybody would be trying it. Yeah. But it works more often than trying literally anything else does. Like... You know, you can't keep taking quarterbacks in the sixth round hoping you'll hit Tom Brady. That never happens. Yeah. The most successful place to pick a quarterback is number one. If you have a shot at it, it's very hard to pass. And the the only years that you see teams pass are the years where there's not that consensus number one QB type guy. And I guess you could argue this year, there's not a consensus number one, but I would argue that's for very different reasons. It's because people aren't sure which they like more Drake or Caleb.
0: My big issue with that argument is is just that, is that these people aren't looking at drafts as, as different drafts. They're just saying, well, every quarterback taken at number one uh, is the same, right? It's the same kind of thing. You're drafting a quarterback number one. So that's all the same. It's all comparable, but Like, you and me and every other damn person on the planet knows that the choice to draft Andrew Luck, number one, was very different than last year's choice. Was very different than Kenny, by God, Pickett coming off as the first quarterback drafted, right? Not the same thing. And this draft, to me, and we'll get into this later, but this draft, to me, is on the level of that Andrew Luck and RG3 draft. It's on the level of the Cam Newton draft. It's a duh, duh. Yeah. Like, like, you Wait, take this guy the years, and you just shut up about it. Right.
1: So, I mean, it's not a scientific methodology. But if you're talking about the years that we, let's just, I like your that there's been a duh pick at number one. So, let's go back to, uh, to 1998. The duh pick was Peyton Manning. That worked out. And then it was a couple years, 1999, Tim Couch wasn't a duh pick. There was debate
0: whether it was, it was Tim, Couch, yeah, Tim
1: yeah. Couch or Akili Smith or Donovan McNabb. There was a debate. You know there was some controversy over the Browns taking Tim Couch. That wasn't a duh pick, so that one didn't work out. But then you have to go a couple of the like 2000. I think Chad Pennington was the only quarterback even taken in the first round, but he wasn't number one overall. There wasn't a slam dunk number one, so nobody took one. There wasn't a slam. No 2001, Vic wet number one, but he wasn't slam dunk. That's why the Chargers traded that pick away. There were questions about Vic. Yep. Um, 2002. I don't. I mean, I, that's a long time. I don't. Remember, I don't remember people being like Derek Carr or David Carr is the obvious slam dunk pick here. He was just the Texans were starting an expansion team, they needed to take a quarterback. Carr was considered the best of that group, but the other candidate was Joey Harrington. Nobody loved either one of them. Yeah. 2003, though, slam dunk pick was Carson Palmer. That worked out pretty well. 2004, the slam dunk pick was Eli Manning. Now he ended up not being, in my opinion, the best quarterback in that draft. But he still had a pretty good career, I would say. Eli did. I don't think you'd be disappointed if you got Eli results and and Eli rings out of this pick. 2005, Alex Smith was not a slam dunk. There was debate up until the day of whether it was going to be Alex Smith or Aaron Rodgers. Um, I remember you and I both at the time thought Rodgers should be the pick. Uh, So, yeah, Alex Smith arguably didn't work out because of the mess the 49ers were and because he wasn't an elite prospect. But the fact that there was a ton of debate there as to whether he was even worth the number one overall pick He wasn't, duh. Jamarcus Russell wasn't, duh. I think we all knew when Jamarcus Russell went to Oakland at that period in time, that was going to end horribly wrong. I think probably the only guy in... Stafford has worked... Stafford worked out. Um, Cam Newton worked out. Andrew Luck worked out. I think that the only guy that I can think of in recent memory who was considered like a slam dunk number one and, and really has had a truly disappointing career was probably Sam Bradford. Um, I don't think there was any debate whether Sam Bradford should be number one that year, but and they,
0: they traded a lot for Bradford. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Bradford is probably the one, but that's just, that just yeah. proves the fact. I mean, at these two prospects, whichever one you take, they are both considered by many to be like some of the best prospects we've seen come through college football in years. And I mean, the other thing is and we'll talk about this later with the draft, but next year's draft for quarterbacks is awful and there's a chance that the year after is going to be bad too. this draft is not the same as last year's draft or next year's draft. This is an outlier draft. this is, you want a pick in the first round in this draft you want the number one overall pick and we have got this is this is the michael Jordan draft. All right, this is not the fucking Anthony Bennett draft in the NBA, right? This is not the, oh, God, I'm going to close my eyes and pick a guy. This is holy shit. We have a pick for a potential Hall of Famer. Uh, and Justin Fields, yes, I like picking him at 11 in that draft. I like picking either of these guys at number one in this draft, and that means something. It means something to have them for a whole five years without having to pay them. Right. Uh, like. Well, I, and a I big wish part, that I could grab every Bears fan and be like, "I opportunity cost, guys. Opportunity cost. Right. We have to get rid well, of Justin."
1: Well, and I think last year a big part of our objection to the argument for trading away Justin was because of how much of the discussion wasn't wasn't being driven by the guy he'd be replaced with at all. Right. Right. It was by this notion that you have to reset the rookie contract,
0: yep. and resetting
1: the rookie contract is a bonus to taking a good quarterback prospect. It's not the reason you do it. I was very confident that Bryce Young was going to be a worse NFL quarterback than Justin Fields. So it didn't fucking matter to me if he was two years younger or cheaper. But I'm not very confident. I'm not confident at all right now that Justin Fields is going to be a better NFL quarterback than Caleb Williams or Drake May. And you get to reset there. It's a bonus. It, it's, it, it tilts the scales towards them. But the, the thing that's already tilting is these are two phenomenal prospects. You have a chance to replace a guy of Justin Fields' talent with two guys of differing skill sets, but equal talent, in my opinion, yeah. and get younger and get cheaper in the process.
0: I Yeah, I think, okay, we'll talk about this a bit later. But to me, man... I think if you brought in Drake May and you switch this offensive coordinator with, say, a guy who got unfairly fired as a head coach midseason this year, somebody who's just out there with offensive coordinator experience, uh, I think that dude is at least exactly as good as Justin is right now next year with the talent around him. At least Drake May would just continue but, at 17th best quarterback in the NFL. Absolutely.
1: Well, well, that's the thing. The argument for keeping Justin from the people who are making it isn't even about the idea of Drake or Caleb being worse than Justin is right now. Like yeah, they're, they're, they're arguing like, well, we know Justin has to get better. We just believe that he will. Yep. Okay. So if we're admitting that it doesn't like, cause if you're asking me like gun to my head right now, do I think Caleb Williams or Drake may next year on this bears roster with presumably a center added in free agency Presumably another wide receiver added either with the bears own pick in the first round or added in free agency. Um, do I think that Caleb Williams or Drake may will be worse than the 21st best quarterback in the NFL right now, which is what Justin is probably not, maybe not much worse. Yep. I think there's a good chance they can be better than that. Um, I don't know if they'll be top 10 next year. I probably would bet against that, but I would bet against Justin Fields being top 10 next year. And the thing is, history tells us that it is more likely for a literal rookie to be a top 10 quarterback than it is for a guy who has been a below average quarterback through three years to become a top 10 quarterback in year four. Basically, the only guy you can find who's ever done that in the last 25 years was Drew Brees, and that was almost 20 years ago. I think we can probably let that one go.
0: That's the thing. The people who are talking about uh, the probability of a number one quarterback succeeding, the probability of, you know, drafting a guy in the first round succeeding are not considering the probability of Justin Fields somehow magically improving yet again between year three and year four. Almost never happens. The probability of that is so, so fucking low. And it's never acknowledged that this is the guy that Justin Fields probably is. 99% chance that this is it for Justin, right? These last four games, this is as good as Justin will ever get. And the reason that we get upset about this, the reason that I'm getting escalated here as we go on, is we went through this for so long with Jay. You You and I defended Jay. We said, he has the talent. He can get better as long as he has a better supporting cast. We gave him excuse after excuse. This guy, he shows all the explosiveness. Uh, He could win a Super Bowl. And he he's always he was always Jay, he was the, always the same guy. The, and this is who Justin is.
1: Yeah, the familiarity. Well, I mean, and it's funny when we get into when we really do get into talking about these prospects in detail. We'll talk about how Caleb Williams. I I have some questions about Caleb Williams. I won't lie and say that I don't. Um, and they, but the thing is, they're questions that are shaped by where he's similar to Justin Fields. Yeah, right. So, like, it's not an argument for keeping Justin Fields. It's more just, like, the only thing I'm afraid of is he might also do this thing Justin Fields does. Yep. So, yeah, you. I mean, we, we're scarred by our experience, but that we are also using history as a guide and history as a reference. And the thing is, the thing about Jay Cutler is, is he's not the only Jay Cutler that's ever occurred in NFL history. There have been lots of Jay Cutlers right. in NFL history. There, there have been people... There are there have been underachieving but talented mid-tier quarterbacks that fans have gotten attached to for almost every franchise in history. There was a time the
0: guy, the guy that I won have brought up multiple times is Andy Dalton. Andy right? Dalton, very similar Justin Fields in early career. Andy Dalton. There,
1: currently. there, there were Patriots fans who still couldn't let go of Drew Bledsoe when Tom Brady first took over. They wanted to go back to Drew Bledsoe's when he was healthy. One. They, yep. there were. You, you see people talk themselves into these guys throughout history. They're so seductive. Um, and it almost never worked. The one guy was, was Drew Brees. Maybe Eli Eli Manning a little bit. He, he didn't really have his first truly good year as a passer uh, until year four, but he won a Super Bowl in year three. I do think that counts a little bit. Um, and that was a different era, too, in terms of in passing. He was less bad relative to his peers than... Fields is relative to his peers at this point. um but Yeah, okay. So we got ten minutes left. We have really we we should, should... talk
0: about the fucking defense. It's Let's talk about the defense. Let's talk about Jalen two Bexter. bowlers, Kyle, two, two bowlers, bowlers.
1: Jalen and Montez Sweat, and I think that obviously they both deserve it. Jalen, arguably the top graded cornerback in the NFL yeah. this year. uh Montez Sweat, I, I think. I, for, I, I'm glad you are the first on this podcast with me because I feel like you are a person that needed to see Montez Sweat to see what he is. Yep. And I tried to tell you, I was like, I, when we were talking about the trade and we were both pissed about the trade, I tried saying over and over, my objection to this is not Montez Sweat. I think he's a fantastic player. I'm scared that with how polls has handled negotiations so far, they won't extend him, but they did. Um, it's, it's hard not to be excited about Montez Sweat as a, as a corner piece of that defense going forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, my part of my concern was a, he's not going to live up to that contract, which wrong. He's lived up to the contract so far. Uh, and B that he was on a very good defensive line in Washington. And it's hard to tell when that's the case, who is the guy who is lifting the other boats, right? Who is, who is the lifter of the boats and who is a boat who's going to sink back down without him? And Montez sweat came over here and he lifted at all the other boats. Uh, and Chase Young has been acceptable, but it, it kind of seems like Montez Sweat was the guy to get. And at this point, honestly, Montez Sweat has been the guy who has completely, uh, he's pushed me all in on Brian Poles where I'm like, guess what, Ryan, you've got carte blanche, buddy, your skills at figuring out who is a good prospect and who's not, who actually has the talent and who doesn't. I think he's, we do. he's miles ahead. I right? think we do have
1: to give Ryan Poles, uh, like we have to do talk. I mean, we're giving him some credit. We have to talk about his his ability to draft at this point, yeah. Um, which you and I were both a little skeptical of. But if so, if you consider, I think you and I both consider fourth round picks and above as like picks that you can actually judge a guy on,
0: yeah.
1: And anything after the fourth round is is a lotto ticket. You, you know, right. no one consistently hits there, but it's great if you can find if you can find somebody. Mm-hmm. So I do think for. For Ryan Poles, first of all, those fifth round or later lotter tickets, I do think he's he's really hit on one in Braxton Jones, who is a currently still a top 10 pass-protecting left tackle. Uh, he's sort of hit on one in Terrell Smith, who I think looks pretty damn promising for a fifth-round yep. rookie corner. Um, so just getting two players out of that mass of picks right there is enough. Jatiri Carter has been a somewhat useful reserve lineman this year, so that's not nothing for a sixth-round pick either. Um, but if you talk about the picks that actually matter, second round picks, third round picks, fourth round picks, he's made what? Kyler, Brisker, Phelis. They didn't have a fourth round pick in 2022. Right. Yep. So now he's made Darnell, Dexter. Darnell, Tyreek, Dexter, Pickens, Scott, Roshan.
0: That's
1: right. So he's made nine picks that matter. I think we can agree the only one that he's 100% whiffed on is Valus Jones. Just yes. complete non-factor. Dude, he did has found...
0: last game? They lined him up and, <coughs> he, and he looked pretty good. They, put him, the cor- they put him on the... We thought he was going to be... They put him on the Cordero
1: Patterson plan uh, several years earlier. Yeah. Um But the he's made a slam dunk, immediate hit-the-ground-running first-round pick, and Darnell Wright. Complete yep. stud, corner piece, 10-year starter, at right tackle if he stays healthy. Um He has... Several promising defensive backs. Tyreek Stevenson's looking really strong lately. Kyler Gordon is looking like a super plus in the slot. Jaquan Briskersh is there. Um,
0: he's played very well. The he's sec- played I mean, well. He's, he is a hateable dude. He is a yeah. very hateable. His production
1: dude. will never match his mouth, but he—he's—I mean—he's—he's <laughs> he's a starter. He is a starting he is. caliber player there, which is always a good use of a second-round pick. If you get a, a a solid, average, or better starter. That's not bad. Um, yep. Even Pickens has flashed a little bit rotationally. Jervin Dexter is coming on very strong. Tyler Scott—I know people are very frustrated with his hands. Um, I do think he's shown some stuff in terms of route running that are, yep. you know, I, 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 I'm not gonna say he's been good, but I don't, I don't think you give. I don't, I think, I don't think you give up on him. I think he's a fourth round pick that, and he's a rookie wide receiver, which is a tough rookie position, anyways. Yep. People forget that Alshon Jeffrey offered basically nothing. Once upon a time as a rookie, which is not to say Tyler Scott's going to be Alshon Jeffrey. They're not at all the same kind of player, but I do think Tyler Scott's shown enough that I don't think that was a bad use of a fourth round pick. We'll see next year. We'll make it. So we'll give him an incomplete grade on Tyler Scott. roshan has been up and down a little bit, but I do think he's still valuable in a rotation as a back, just in terms of,
0: I think that's more a situation where we have too many good running backs, which is fine. So, but again, so, I mean,
1: he's made nine picks that matter in our opinion, and he's only truly, Swung and missed on one of them so far. We know he's connected. I think we feel we've connect- he's connected for a home run or a solid double on several of them. And several, you know, the ball's still in play. I think that's pretty good through two years of drafting. It really is. Um, yep. We haven't seen that level of success in a while from a Bears GM, probably since the few good years that Jerry Angelo managed drafting before the Super Bowl year. Um, right. So we have to give him some credit there as a drafter. Uh, Jervin Dexter is coming on way faster than I ever expected. Maybe not faster than you expected. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll keep saying it. Travis Travis deserves credit here, folks. He really he did. I drilled that one. He, he nailed the Jervin Dexter pick when I, I didn't think anybody would. But
0: he has hit uh, like over the last half of the season. He has been like a, a top 10 interior pass rusher. In the NFL, it's been absolutely insane, and he's finally getting home now. I'm actually trying to pull that up
1: right – I'm trying to pull that up right now, and the PFF website's being slow, but yeah, I'm trying to see over the second half of the season what is – I believe his, his pass rush win – I think the stat I shared the other day was his pass rush win rate among all defensive tackle – interior defenders, not just rookies, is like 16% over the yeah. last uh, half of the season, which is like top 10. It really – he's yeah. been impre- – I mean, he's not Aaron Donald. Nobody is, but he's he's looked – I mean, honestly, he has looked better than Jalen Carter has looked over the second half of the season. Now Jalen Carter was vastly better in the first half. So if you were if you were ranking their seasons overall, Jalen Carter has still been the better player, no doubt. I'm not trying to say Jervin hasn't, but for where Jervin was picked and for how Ryan for Ryan Poles needing to solve the right tackle and the defensive tackle puzzle at the same time. It's hard to argue he could have done a better job than he did with Darnell Wright and German Dexter right what
0: now. What we've seen with Jalen Carter is teams get tape on him, and they're like, okay, we know his tricks, right? And so it's kind of leveled off for Jalen. With Jervon, he didn't have tricks to begin with. The man had his abilities, right, yeah. because he wasn't taught so, him pass rush in college. As he has added to his bag, there's nothing you can do about him. So th- He literally, twice in this game against Atlanta, just grabbed a man and just pushed him into the quarterback and destroyed the whole play by himself.
1: So on the season as a whole right now, Jervin Dexter ranks 32nd among all interior defenders with a pass rush win rate of 12.7%. That is literally right behind Jeffrey Simmons in Tennessee, who just got a bag and is pretty darn good. Uh, That's not that far behind like Justin Matablique, who is a guy from Baltimore that a lot of people have their eyes on in free agency. It's right behind Ed Oliver, who at one point we talked about as a potential trade option
0: for the Bears. And that's
1: on the season as a whole. And that's for a guy that, mind you, again, is a rookie. If we do just the second half of the season. So I'm just going to do the last eight games here. Hold on, let's, see if we, let, let's let this puppy filter. Uh, and let's filter out the non-qualifiers. Duh, duh, duh. Fun with stats. He is... Where's he at? I thought he would be...
0: <laughs> I can't read. Um, Read, Kyle. Read quicker. Okay. Trouble with filters, folks. Yeah, my... Okay. Okay. film.
1: Regardless yeah. to say, he's been a...
0: His... His, his explosiveness off the ball, I think, is the big thing. Like, he has absolutely... he He's gotten as fast as he needs to be okay. off the ball.
1: So, just since week 10, Jervin uh, is 16th. So, he's gone from 32nd on the season to 16th um, since week 10, which is he's at 15.2% right behind Eric Armstead, who's having a very good year for the 49ers. Justin Matabweke again. Uh, Draymond Jones, a guy that a lot of people wanted the Bears to spend a lot of money on, this free agency. Oh,
0: good for him. Uh, I'm Defer's, succeeding.
1: DeForest Buckner, we made hard eyes at DeForest Buckner, hoping that maybe Eberflus would get his old defense. DeForest Buckner is at 16.3%, Jervin's at 152 And again, Jervin is a rookie. The names ahead of Jervin on this list are all good names. Armstead, Matablique, Jones, Allen, Jonathan Allen. But think about all
0: those guys. The thing about all those guys, and the thing about interior defensive yeah. linemen, is they mature more slowly than almost any other position. It's a end. tough position you're, as a rookie. Now, and that's to say that's why that's why Draymond Jones got a big deal, right? Even though yeah. his numbers weren't huge, it was like okay, he finally yeah. hit that that wall as an yeah. interior defensive lineman. To have Jervon there right now means that in two years, if he continues on the development path most interior defensive linemen do, yeah. he's going to be a disaster in the middle of life. He's now, going to be able to take over games
1: right now. It's important to stress as a overall player. Dexter is not in that tier of those guys yet. He he has still been vulnerable against the run. He still has some other issues there, but just in terms of pass rush win rate, how often he is beating his guy uh, in a pass rush situation. He's, he's already in good company. So the, yep. the arrow is pointing way up for Jervon. Um, and even even Pickens has had his moments of late. I, I don't think he's ever going to be a star, but, you know, he didn't look like – he looked like a joke, like a non-rosterable player for four or five weeks to start the year. And this year he's, he's looking like a guy who next year you could see him being a solid guy to come in and give your due to breather and be part of a deep, constantly churning pass rush rotation.
0: Going into next year, we lose Justin Jones, thank God. Uh, and then we have, if you have a starting pair of Billings and Javon Dexter, and then the rotational pieces are Pickens and uh, uh, Demarcus Walker on the interior. Yeah, that's scary. That, uh, that's a hell of a lineup for an interior defensive line. Obviously, we still need an edge, but this defense has looked fantastic. And the thing is, it's so young; it's only improving. Uh, I mean, just like like big things defensively from the Bears. It's been great because we were so low at the beginning of this year, you know, without the pass rush, with everything seemingly falling apart, everybody getting injured. We were so depressed about this defense and the second half of the season, you know, it's been like a top five unit in almost every way. It's been fantastic. So there's a lot of positives. We talked a lot about Justin Fields today. We're going to talk a lot about him more, but no matter what we do at the quarterback position, this is a solid team. It has been built well for the future. Yeah, I think it's really that quarterback spot. That's in I, th-
1: I think we're a little worried about what the ceiling of this team might be going forward. If they keep Eberflus, even if they replace fields with one of those quarterbacks. Um, but I, I do think I'm a lot less worried about the floor. They don't, yep. I don't think, I think you might be looking at a situation where Eberflus, if you get him the right quarterback might be, more of like a Sean McDermott where they do win games and and you start the problem in a couple years becomes quote you know like can he win playoff games Uh, but that is a better problem to have than can he avoid comparisons to Mark Tressman. so there's
0: progress there. It's the same problem you always have with a defensive-minded head coach, though, right? You have a good one, and they basically have to find a good offensive game plan, a good offensive coach. I'm I've if we keep Iberflus, I've got both fingers crossed that we, you know, pull Frank Reich in and let him take over the offense. You gotta find you gotta find somebody good. And the last time that Iberflus went through the search and found Getze, everything he said at the time was very heartening. Everything he heard from Getzey was very heartening. He wants to build, a, get a guy who loves his quarterback and wants to build around him. I hope he does the same thing here. I hope he, again, tries to find a guy who wants to build around whatever quarterback he's got. I'm, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be Drake May or Caleb Williams, but as long as he does that, as long as his heart is in the right place there, I, I'll give him another shot. I don't think we've got a choice, but yeah, I think Sean McDermott is very much what we're going to be looking at, right? Defensive head coach going to have a great, great defense on that side of the ball. And then you just, you just hope they can pull it together on offense with a coordinator, right?
1: Yeah. So anyways, we'll see how Sunday goes. Um, I'm not making any predictions. I really, I don't know. Uh, yeah,
0: but I mean, it would be if we lose again to the Packers and get throttled against the 28th worst offense or defense in the NFL, that's definitely a nail in the coffin, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm
1: less concerned about the outcome of that game and then more interested in just assessing the fallout of yeah. whatever happens. So when, we, when we're here next week, we'll we'll obviously have a lot to talk about, about what happened, what that probably means for the people whose jobs are at stake and what the direction we think they should go with the offense The season will in. be over
0: for the Bears, and we will... I mean, by the time we record, which will likely be Thursday or Friday, I think we'll have solid information on who's staying and who's going. The Bears are usually pretty good about um, the guys are retaining guys. The Justin Fields
1: decision, I think will probably be obvious long before it's actually made. Um, And I, I fear Ryan Poles won't do us the solid he did last year of trading away fields or trading away the pick right before free agency, like you did last year. So I think this, we could have to strap in and I don't know. We'll have to see, but we'll have to strap in and see how that goes. So, all All right. right. Well, Bill bears, oh. If you love Justin Fields, please don't throw rocks at us.
0: That's right. <laughs> Let's see well, it. Now
1: you know I'm leaving Chicago And people I show
0: Take you gold Now you know leaving Won't be back Come on.